This is Greg Keaton of Rent the Heavens Lock and Down Podcast. Today is Friday, the 5th of November 2021. Today we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapters 36 and 37, and this message is entitled Surrounded by the Enemy. Hezekiah and the people of Judah, particularly Jerusalem, have experienced a revival um, where the temple was opened up again, all the filthiness was taken out all the idolatry and the people were back worshipping God again. Some people were invited to this revival and some accepted this invitation, some rejected it. But now comes the great testing. God's people are literally surrounded by the enemy. Some people think revival is just about singing songs, having a great time, people getting saved. But it actually is a time of great testing and confrontation by the enemy. And when God is working, so is Satan. And that's what we're going to see today. So without further hesitation, let's start reading in Isaiah chapter 36. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem, unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's fields. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which is over the house, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. And Rabshakeh, the Assyrian captain, said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus say the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust, that thou rebellest against me? Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed, on Egypt, whereon if a man lean, it will go with his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all that trust in him. But if thou say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah had taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. So he's referring back to the revival that he hears uh, that Hezekiah um, led in. And it's true, Hezekiah did take away a lot of altars and places of pagan worship. He was right to do so, so that he would worship the only one true God. He got rid of all the idolatry. And already the enemy is mocking Hezekiah and his people for doing this. Well, the Assyrian captain goes on to say, Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. Wow, here comes a temptation. If you give in to me, surrender to me, I'll give you two thousand horses, if you can find men to sit on them. I guess there was a shortage of horses in Jerusalem at this time, but you have to remember that Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrian army. The captain goes on to say, How then will thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? And am I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said unto me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Now this is incredible. This Assyrian captain, Rabshakeh, is actually boasting and saying that Hezekiah's God sent Rabshakeh and the Assyrian army to come up and take this city. It was God who sent them. Wow. 
And this is what happens when the enemy attacks. He even claims that he's speaking for God, which is incredible. It's interesting, some of the political leaders, particularly in America, uh, from the Democrat side, have actually claimed that God is speaking through them for people to take the vaccines. These people have no time for the true God whatsoever in America, but this is what they claim. And sadly, many of God's people will actually listen to them. Um, but I can assure you, in this case, just as in the Democrats' case, God had not sent them. But this is what they were boasting. Well, let's skip on to the end of verse 13. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jewish language and said, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus say the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Don't trust in this godly leader. Don't trust in him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen to me. How often have you heard that even recently? Listen to us, the experts, the scientists, the doctors, the government. Listen to us. God's people need to listen to God more than listen to what the government say. He goes on to say in verse 16, Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus said the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and eat ye every one of his vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. So here, the uh, Rabshakeh, the, the captain of the Assyrian army, is trying to tempt Hezekiah's people to give in, to surrender. Life will be so much better. I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, better than what you've ever known. Don't you, are you not fed up being um, in the siege and lacking food and water? <clears throat> Actually, Hezekiah had built a tunnel that went from the, um, the springs from outside, the Gihon Springs outside the walls of Jerusalem. He'd built an underground tunnel from, from these springs to the Pool of Siloam inside the city walls of Jerusalem. You can actually see that Hezekiah's tunnel today. It's still there. So they were able to withstand the siege, at least drink water. Um, they may have lacked food, I don't know. Um, but they certainly did have water. And you can actually see that uh, tunnel even today in Jerusalem. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's an engineering marvel, actually. But the captain of the Syrian army here is saying, look, if you surrender to me, you'll have so much nice food. You'll have an, a nice place to live. It'll be so much better than being in this siege all the time. Just give in. And you know what, folks? Sin is nice for a season. You know, it really is. And where was this captain telling lies? Was he exaggerating or was he telling the truth? I, I don't know. Um, but the enemy wants them to give in and we should never give in to satanic oppression or deception or lies or seduction. Um, the chances are he was lying, of course, but he was putting this thought in their minds, look how life will be so much better if you just give in. I'll give you a great life back in Assyria. And so he's tempting them with these nice things. He goes on to say in verse 16, Hearken not to Hezekiah, um, Actually, sorry, I read that already, didn't I? He says, verse 18, Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Had any of the gods of the nation delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Syria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who were they among all the gods of these lands 
that have delivered their land out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Now, a few minutes ago, uh, Rabshakeh here had boasted that God had sent him. Now he's challenging God, uh, Hezekiah's God and the people of Jerusalem's God, um, or mocking him, saying, will he deliver you out of my hand? But a few minutes ago, as I said, he had boasted that God had sent him. See how he changed things here. Um, so here Rabshakeh his boast about his previous conquest, where the Assyrian army had con- um, have uh, conquered other lands. Um, and these victories are probably true. We'll actually look at that in a few minutes to see are, did these, is this boasting of conquering these lands uh, true or not? Um, but he's boasting about his previous victories. And obviously to make uh, Hezekiah and the people afraid. But then it says in verse 21, talking about the people of Jerusalem, but they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's command was saying, answer him not. Well, even the book of Ecclesiastes tells us a time for to speak and there's a time for silence. And this is a time for silence. Sometimes we think we need to shout back and give as good as we get at the enemy. Um, <clears throat> but many times that accomplishes nothing. You just actually fall into their hands because they will actually use your words against you. They will twist your words, which is what they're doing a lot today. They will call you um, uh, hate speech and liars and misinformation, all that kind of stuff. But Hezekiah had actually commanded people not to answer um, Rabshakeh, the king of Assyria. Don't answer him a word. Verse 22. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, that was over the households, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. So now Hezekiah hears all the words and all the threats and all the boasting of the Assyrian army. Verse, chapter 37, verse 1. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. This was a common reaction to bad news. That a man of God would rent his clothes. He would tear his clothes and his coat. Um, he would cover himself with sackcloth and come before God. I believe this is the right action. This is a, a, um, a position of humility and depends upon God. He didn't form a committee and ask the men, what do you think we should do? Look at war strategies and books and things like that. No, he basically humbled himself before the Lord, knowing that this is trouble. And then it says in verse 2, and he sent Eliakim, talking about Hezekiah, he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth unto Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. They went to the man of God, the prophet Isaiah. We know that Isaiah was a prophet during four uh, reigns of kings um, and Hezekiah was the last one that he was under. So Hezekiah covers himself in sackcloth as we saw already as the rest of the people do and then they go to the man of God. That's the right reaction isn't it? Go to the man of God. Go to a man who you know hears from God. A man that yeah just hears from God. A man of God that you know God's hand is upon. Verse 3, And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, had sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God had heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. 
So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So that's their request. Isaiah, this, listen to the words, the threats of the Assyrian army, how they reproached the living God. That's the, that's the attitude that Hezekiah and his people are taking. They're reproaching the living God. They're not, just, they're not actually taking it personally, but that this is uh, against their God. I mean, the captain has been boasting about his victories and actually saying that your God will not help you. And so they bring these words to the great prophet Isaiah. Well, what's Isaiah's response? Chapter, uh, sorry, verse 6 of chapter 37. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus say the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Now remember, this is Isaiah speaking, but God is speaking through him. And God is saying to Isaiah, This man is blaspheming me, what he's saying. Verse 7, Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear rumour and return to his own land and will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So here the prophet is making a prediction uh, that the captain will return to his own land, which he did, but he also comes back to Jerusalem, okay? Um, but God is actually taking this personally, you know? You see, all sin is against God, ultimately. It's not actually against you and I. It's against God himself. And, you know, <clears throat> when it comes to a situation like this, well, we need to cry out to God and we need to tell God exactly what these people are saying. And of course, what we're seeing, this man, he's actually, he is blasphemed the, the, God, the name of God because the Assyrian captain is basically boasting that he is greater than the God of Israel. Of course, that is not true because here he's dealing with God Almighty, you know. Um, so let's move on down here further. Um, and he starts threatening Hezekiah again. And here's where he says, Thus should he speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, in verse 10 of chapter 37 of Isaiah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trusted, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Syria. Behold, there was heard what the king of Syria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. And shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Reseph and the children of Eden, which were in Talaster? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? So again, the, uh, the Assyrian captain is boasting of his previous conquests, except he adds a few more cities to the list this time. That these are all the victories that he's had. And it says in verse 14, And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying. So this time Hezekiah, he doesn't go to Isaiah the prophet. Not that this is wrong, but he goes directly to God himself. He's already gone to the prophet Isaiah. But here Hezekiah himself goes before the Lord. He spreads the letter um, of the king of of the captain of the, of the king of Assyria. And he spreads it out before the Lord on his face in the house of God. And here's what Hezekiah says. Verse 16 of Isaiah 37. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art a God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, there was made heaven and earth. Well, that verse says a lot already, doesn't it? 
O Lord God of hosts. That means the God of the armies of heaven. That's who he's talking to. That dwells between the cherubims, he says. We see this in Psalm 80 verse 1. Talking to the Lord that dwells between the cherubims, these mighty angelic beams, the same cherubims who guarded the, um, the Garden of Eden entrance so that Adam and Eve could not go back in there and eat from the tree of life after they had sinned. These are mighty, majestic beings um, that seem to um, stand on either side of God's throne. And Hezekiah knows who he's talking to. He's not talking to just any God of any religion which don't exist. He's talking to the one true God of Israel that dwells between the cherubims. And the God who alone made all the kings of the earth and who made heaven and earth. That's who Hezekiah is talking to. What strength, what confidence in this prayer so far. Verse 17, um, Hezekiah goes on, Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Zennacherib, which had sent to reproach the living God. God, he's speaking against you, these things. And that's true. Then, verse 18, Hezekiah says, Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire, which were no gods. So, the boasting that we've heard from the captain of the Assyrian army is actually all true. They have been unstoppable so far. Every city and country that the Assyrians have come up against, including the cities of Judah, they have destroyed one by one and nobody has stopped them. So this boasting is actually true. So you've got to remember, folks, that Satan, yes, he's, he is called a liar, but many times he will boast about things that are actually true or even accuse you of personal sins that are true as well to make you feel shameful and... Um, and not come to God and just give up. You know, so, so many times he accuses the brethren of things that are actually true. And in this case, the enemy is boasting about victories that he really did have. And they have been unstoppable up until now, of course. So, again, the enemy has been boasting about victories that actually did happen. They're not lies. They're not exaggerations. So here we have God's people surrounded by the enemy who have been unstoppable so far. Do you believe the church is surrounded by the enemy today? Or do you think everything is okay? Because I believe that the, that the church is surrounded by the enemy. Yes, it's a spiritual enemy in the end, but they use uh, obviously human means and ways. Um, and I believe that the church is surrounded today by the enemy who are boasting of victory after victory after victory. And you think your God's going to stop us? <clears throat> your religion, they'll probably put it that way maybe. You know, this is what they're saying. They have, they're having victory after victory after victory, aren't they? No matter where you look. They have control of the media, the enemy. They have control um, of the politicians, um, of the entertainment. I mean, they have control everywhere, even of the doctors um, during this so-called pandemic, right? And only the doctors that agree with them are allowed to speak. But the doctors who disagree with them are not allowed to speak. And guess which ones the churches listen to? The ones who are allowed to speak. The liberal ones, the ones who want you fear, fearful, afraid, fear, 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 right? And so the enemy is boasting of their victories and they're surrounding, uh, they're surrounding us. The, Jerusalem was surrounded by this great Assyrian army. They're literally surrounded. They can't get out. Hezekiah's people cannot get out. They're surrounded. 
and they're being threatened basically of extinction here. Again, the enemy has been boasting of their victories, victories that they really did have, and Hezekiah recognizes that. But of course, Hezekiah also said, um, they've cast these other nations' gods into the fire, for they were no gods. And that's and again, that's true. God allowed this to happen, you know. There is no other God except the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus Christ, who is God Himself. So all the wars have gone on over the centuries where one country fights against another. <clears throat> you could say that one false god beats another false god, right? The Syrians had their false gods that they worshipped, and when they had victories, they gave uh, they attributed their victories to their false gods. And now they're boasting the same when they come up against God's people, you know? And uh, the Syrian army are obviously very confident that they're going to win. I mean, this is just Jerusalem left. The other cities of Judah, most of them, if not all of them, have, have fallen to the Syrian army. Maybe Jerusalem is the only major city left. It doesn't look good. It really does not look good. Is God going to let the city of Jerusalem fall to the Assyrians? Is there going to be a great slaughter here? That's what it looks like, doesn't it? But of course, like Hezekiah said, yes, they've cast these other gods into the fire because there were no gods. But the work of men's hands, he goes on to say in verse 19, uh, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. You see, our God made us. We didn't make him. All these nations' gods that even exist today are made in the image of man or they made them themselves. They come and go. Um, they, of course, most of them go, don't they? They're gone. Whereas the, the gods of the great Egyptian empire or of the Assyrian empire or of the Roman empire or the Babylonians, where are they? Or the Greek empire, they're gone. Didn't help them, did they? But our God is an everlasting God and he lasts forever. This time they're coming up against the true God. So in verse 20, Hezekiah goes on to say, Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. What a way to end the prayer. Save us, God, from their hand. Lord, you do it, because we can't. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Lord, this is going to take a miracle that only you can do. To save us from this enemy. We are surrounded by this powerful army. That have been unstoppable so far. We're just one city. Behind these walls. Hezekiah recognises. We're, we're not going to be able to stop them. This, humanly speaking we're finished. Unless God you rise up. You awake as it were. Out of your sleep as it were. Uh, like Isaiah says elsewhere. Um, of course God doesn't really sleep. But often the, prophet, the prophets will ask God to wake as a man out of sleep and fight for his people and that's what Hezekiah is asking God to do here and that God would then show who he really is to everybody else that's watching you know in when you read about revivals it's clearly that what happens in revivals is the hand of God it's not what man can do or man can say most of what you hear and see in the church today is what man can do what man can say but we need, to, we need to see and hear what God can do and only what God can do. Uh, revival is a, is a work, is a mighty work of God. Hezekiah knows that. And so Hezekiah is asking God to work so powerfully that it will be obvious that this was the hand of God working. Don't you long to see that? Is, am I the only one to see the mighty hand of God working in our midst, in the church, amongst, amongst us, God's people? And not just 
look like another religion, which is what a lot of the churches look like. You know, you see the, the attitude of the world. They, if, if, if they even know about your evangelical church, which, which the world usually doesn't know about because you have no effect uh, upon society or counterculture, they just despise you. You're nothing. You're just another religion. And they don't care about your religion as long as you keep it yourself. But just don't come and talk to me or tell me that I'm sinful, that uh, what I'm doing is wrong, that I'll be judged by God. And of course, most of the church is complying. You see, the church is hearing the threats of the enemy and they're being silent. They're afraid. Instead of coming before God and coming uh, to pray with a man of God and asking God to pour out his spirit and to do uh, a mighty miracle and show his mighty hand, we stay silent. We're afraid. We'll speak the Bible, yes, we'll preach the Bible, but it'll be so non-offensive. It won't offend anybody, not even God's people for the most part, never mind the lost out there. And the lost out there, the governments <clears throat> and the people out there, the culture, they don't care about the church. They don't even know you exist for the most part uh, because you're no threats to them, you know. And of course, they're giving their threats, aren't they? If you say this, this will happen to you. Your church will be closed down. You'll be arrested for hate speech. You'll lose your job. You'll be uh, kicked out of school. You'll be made fun of. You'll be laughed at. And all these things may be true, but so what? Why should you be embarrassed um, and ashamed of your God? But because we're listening to the threats of man. But Hezekiah hears those threats, and he knows that unless God works, uh, Jerusalem is, will be destroyed, and so will his people. Verse 21, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas there was prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Syria, this is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee, and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed, God says? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice, and lifted up thine eyes and high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy servants thou hast reproached the Lord. So what's God saying here? You are speaking against me. I am taking this personally. What you're saying against me and my people. You are blaspheming my name. You're claiming that I'm just another false religious God. That is not true. You are basically, you're blaspheming me. Uh, you're equating me, put me on the same level as all these other false religions um, yes, you may have conquered them, but they're false religions, false gods. They don't even exist, made by man's hands and imaginations. So God takes this personally, you know. And I think this is great, because that means God's going to act, isn't he? You know, sin is against God. Listen to what they're saying, God. They're blaspheming your name every day, not just in the films, but in, in, in conversation. They're mocking you. They're mocking your people. They're making fun of sin. They're calling good evil and evil good, Lord. Look what they're doing. Look what they're boasting, Lord. And God has heard this, the prayer of Hezekiah and he's now responding through the prophet Isaiah and telling the Assyrian people and the army, you are up against me. Wow. So let me skip on down here a few verses in Isaiah uh, 37. Um, God says then um, in verse 28, But I know thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me, and thy tumult is come up into mine ears, therefore will I put my hook in thy nose, 
and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which, by which thou camest. So God says, I'm going to deal with you personally here. I'm going to deal with you personally. And then in verse 31, here's what God says. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upwards. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. So Judah never recovered as a nation again. Okay? They never recovered as a nation, no matter what God does here with Hezekiah and Jerusalem. But God is going to preserve a godly remnant, even though there is a great apostasy going on and a great turning away from God by the people of God themselves. There's always going to be a godly remnant that God will preserve all over the world, in every country. Don't you want to be one of them? When, when most of the church and Christians are turning to the world, becoming more like the world, conforming to the world, loving the world and the things of the world with the lust of the eyes, with the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Don't you want to be one of those godly remnants that is ready for the Lord Jesus to come in the cloud to take away the church? Well, I, I want to be. And here God is promising that he's going to preserve a remnant out of Zion. And God says, the zeal of the Lord, the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. God says, um, I'm swearing by my own name here, I'm going to do this. I'm going to preserve a godly remnant. I know those who know me, who long for me who want revival, who want to be godly, who want to be separated from the world, who want to glorify me in their lives, who want to be soul winners, who are living for eternity, who may have failed and sinned against me, but they want to turn back to me. They want to be, they want to be godly. They want to please me. They want to glorify me. I know who they are. Folks, God knows who those people are today. And again, I want to be one of those people. Do you? One of those godly remnants that will come out from among the world's and be separate from the world, from its idols, from its filthiness, from its lies, from its wickedness and its sin and deceit. Come out from the liberal Christianity that's rampant today. That is, uh, use, uh, th- thinks like man, talks like man. Um, I want to be one of those godly remnants. I hope you do too. So God here has promised that he's going to preserve a godly remnant um, out of Zion, out of Judea, out of Jerusalem, despite most of the people will be destroyed because they turned their backs on God. God judges his people. Okay, as I've said this before, God does judge the church. He told five of the seven churches in Revelation, like I said before, to repent. I believe God wants many churches today, uh, including the leaders and Christians, to repent. Okay, I believe that's what he's looking for. But how many of God's people, again, believe that they need to repent? How many of God's people believe that they're surrounded by the enemy? See, if you don't believe you're surrounded by the enemy, then you're not going to cry out to God for help like Hezekiah did, right? If you don't believe you're sick, you're not, you're not going to go to the doctor. But Hezekiah went to the prophet Isaiah. Maybe you could call him God's doctor. And then Hezekiah went to God himself, didn't he? He wasn't in denial. It seems that like God's people are in denial that the church is being oppressed, is being squeezed out, um, is, is basically um, is being surrounded by the enemy and threatened. And the church is listening to those threats and bowing down to them. But there will always be a godly remnant that God says, I will preserve. That's why he told Hezekiah, in the middle of this, uh, telling the Assyrians, I'm going to deal with you. And God does deal with them. And here's what God says in verse 33. Therefore, thus say the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come up before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, say the Lord. God here is prophesying 
a an absolute rout of the Assyrian army. He's going to utterly destroy them. They won't lift a finger against the people of God in behind the walls of Jerusalem. They won't even shoot an arrow. Now, what battle do you ever hear of, especially when an army is surrounding a city, that you don't even shoot an arrow? But that's what God said here. You're not going to lift a finger against these people. I will deal with you. Um, verse 35 for God says for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake God says I will defend this city I will fight for this city for my name's sake and for my servant David's sake because I had promised that I'm going to rule I'm going to rule um, my servant my son of course Jesus Christ will rule from this city on the throne of David one day which he hasn't done yet but he will do it it's going, it's going to come in soon um, and God says, so I'm going to preserve the city for my name's sake. Because the sad thing is that most of God's people are turned their backs on him, even in Hezekiah's time. Um, and so God said, well, I'm going to defend this city for my, own, for my name's sake and for, for the promise I made to David that there will be a king on this throne forever. And so what does God do? Verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Did you hear that? 185,000 dead soldiers by the next morning. And Hezekiah and the people never lifted a finger themselves to defend the city. God did it, just like he said. He said later on that he would send a blast, some kind of disease or pestilence or virus, whatever. But it killed them in less than 24 hours. 185,000 dead soldiers. Even today, don't you agree, 185 dead soldiers in one battle would be huge, would be a huge loss. And you know, the population today is far bigger than it was back then. But that's what God did. He destroyed the enemy himself without Hezekiah or the people having to do any kind of fighting whatsoever. Because Hezekiah and his people depended upon God. They cried out to God for this great deliverance. They were surrounded by the enemy who had boasted of great victories they've had and those victories were real and true but they came up against the true God and God took it personally. And that's what Hezekiah wanted God to do to take it personally. God listened to their words, listened to their threats. Look what they're saying, look what they're doing, look at their boasting of their previous victories, Lord. It's all true. And yet God, these people worship false gods. They have beaten countries that have false gods. Look, but God, you are the one true God that dwells between the cherubims. Shine forth. This is a great victory that God had wrought. Because that's what God does. God does do it all things well. When you read about revivals, wherever they are in the world, what you conclude is that this clearly was the hand of God working. This was the finger of God. This was the year of the right hand of the Lord, as many people would phrase it. Only God could have done this. Only God could have done it. And folks, only God can do what needs to be done today. We are surrounded by the enemy. Do you agree? God's people are literally surrounded by the enemy. They have the power. They have the persuasion. They have control of the media. What's going on today is a, 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 a war of information, isn't it? And where the media are controlling what you hear, um, how you hear it, and who you hear. We know from 
in social media that uh, Christians are banned or censored, um, conservative people are banned and censored all the time. Um, and there's nothing we can do about it because man is in control, isn't he? They're controlling information because they know if they control the information, what people hear and how they hear it or what they hear, then they have won the victory. And that's what they're doing today. They're doing it with this whole COVID-19 thing. They make sure you only hear in the news that COVID-19 is something to be really, really afraid of and that you desperately need the vaccines. And without the vaccines, you'll die. We'll, or, you know, thousands and millions of people will die. You need it. And the vaccines are good. And don't listen to those people who say the vaccines are bad, including those experts. Don't listen to them. They're conspiracies. It's hate speech. It's false information. It's misinformation. Just listen to us. You can trust us. And sadly, many people do trust them and listen to them, including Christians. But there's a great lie and a great deception going on. And it's a control of information. And the enemy is making his threats. You have these hate speech laws that if you say certain things, like against homosexuality, you can be arrested. You know? In fact, just the other day, England are talking about sending people to jail for at least two years if they are found guilty of misinformation about COVID-19 or the vaccines, no matter who says it. That's how bad things are getting. And the church is silent about these things again. Because I believe the church is kowtowing, is bound down to the enemy, listen to their threats and bow down to them. Because they don't want persecution. They don't want to be rejected. They don't want to carry the cross. But even worse than that, they don't believe that God can do a great victory in these last days. It seems that for the most part the church doesn't believe that God moves in revival anymore. So let's just do what we do every week. Let's do our programs, our church services, our youth meetings, wherever we do. Even though the enemy outside is shouting louder and louder and louder and is getting stronger and stronger and stronger and taking away the freedoms uh, literally on a daily basis. This was a great deliverance that we just heard about in Isaiah chapter 37, or sorry, 36 and 37. A great deliverance that God brought. Um, But Hezekiah cried out to God. He went to the prophet Isaiah and he cried out to God himself for God to act and to do something. Because Hezekiah knew that unless God did it, they were finished. I believe that's what's needed today. Unless we cry out to God believingly, that uh, we're not going to have victory. If we don't believe we're surrounded by the enemy, that we're in trouble, then you're not going to cry out to God. And it seems to me that most of the church in the Western world does not believe that the enemy is surrounding us. You know? They're clearly boasting about their victories all the time and about their scientists and their experts and listen to us and, and um, they clearly have no time for uh, the Bible, no time for the truth, do they, right? In fact, the truth basically is illegal these days. Any kind of truth is illegal and is banned and censored. But this was a great victory, as I said, in Hezekiah's time when the people of God were surrounded. How do you see the church today? Again, you won't go to a doctor unless you believe you're sick, okay? But then if you go to the doctor and he gives a diagnosis and tells you what you need to do, but if you don't listen to that doctor, then you're not going to be healed. You're going to get sick you're go- or get worse or maybe even die, right? If you don't listen to God, if you don't listen to his prophets, if you don't listen to the warnings, then God can't help us. I believe that God can bring a great revival in your life today and in mine. He can certainly do it in, even in the local church today if the leaders 
and the people of God will come before God like Hezekiah on our faces and cry out to him for God to act and to move. I really believe that God can do that, but we must humble ourselves before God. We must be honest. So that's my message for this week and for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're challenged. And may God open your eyes and may you experience a personal revival in your life today. We need men like Hezekiah and prophets like Isaiah to come before God to pray like Hezekiah did and like Isaiah did. I believe God can do the impossible. God can show his mighty hand and bring a great victory. Because without God, we're not going to have that victory. The church is in a very weak place. It is surrounded by the enemy. That's what I contend. But who believes that with me? Who will cry out with me to God to bring a great deliverance in our lives? We badly need it. God can do it. So thanks for listening again to this podcast. I hope you listen to the other podcasts too. Share them with others if you can. My heart is that God will revive us in the midst of these years. But he'll only do it to those who are honest and hungry and will be honest about our situation that we're in. I believe, again, we are surrounded by the enemy. But God is on our side if we cry out to him humbly and honestly and believingly. God bless.